there is this blur because I haven't like completely thrown myself into the, the arc of sound and I don't entirely think of myself as a like musician. I'm not trained or anything. You're listening to the Liquid Architecture Podcast. Del Lumante is an artist, musician, DJ, educator and organiser, living and working on Eora country. Their expansive practice moves between genres and mediums, explored under pseudonyms and through collaborative projects. Fellow DIY and experimental musician Emma Ramsey takes a deep dive into the internal and lateral workings of Del Lumanta's sonic practice for Out of Field, the sonic practice of Del Lumanta, published on Liquid Architecture's online journal Disclaimer. Ramsey's profile traces Lamanta's experimental roots within Sydney's community radio and DIY communities, and underscores the way in which their incessant development of band projects and collaborations provides a freedom of movement in process and approach. Today on the podcast, Del Lumanta talks through how field recordings became a part of their music production, the effect of performance context within both institutions and the DIY scene, and their work within community projects such as New Age Noise and Radio Skid Row. My name's Delamenta. I'm an artist working with sound and I guess visual or design and music and sometimes uh, in combination or sometimes very separate. I think it's dependent on what's available to me. So if I think about my timeline, you know, I was able to participate more in visual arts when I had a studio and then when I left uni, I didn't. So then things on the computer took over. Um, and then also the world of music opened up. It shifts per what's available. And I think they do inform each other, but I'm not really sure how. <laughs> you know, I first started out in the kind of rock band format. And then, you know, while that was happening, I was learning how to DJ, which opened up a world of dance-oriented and electronic music. And then... I guess, yeah, the natural progression was figuring out how those kind of musics get made. So all analogue at first and then accessing programs like Ableton and some free software as well like Soundplant. And then as my kind of knowledge around synthesizers built, I started to explore modular, but I find it quite a headache. <laughs> Yeah, at the moment, a lot of it's on the computer just because of the pandemic and lack of space.
when I started exploring field recording as its own practice, it was just fun to do. <laughs> so you kind of gave a another path and approach. It made me start to think about sound more than music. And I guess with some of my practice, there is this blur because I haven't like completely thrown myself into the, the arc of sound and I don't entirely think of myself as a like musician. I'm not trained or anything. So, yeah, it's just this relationship. If I think about the first times attempting music and not having knowledge around recording, so not understanding that you need an interface to connect to a computer that connects to a software that's going to record a pure signal. I was working just with an iPhone. So a lot of my early things that I published on SoundCloud had the noise of the street that I lived on. So it was always there. But then as I learned to use the technology, it went away. Or I would try to re-emulate it because I'd see them as signatures of that place and time. But it never quite made sense. And now they're kind of back with a lot more intention. Most things in recent times have started with a field recording because of, I guess, setting or like remembering or having memory of place and wanting to capture what was being felt in those environments. But often they end up coming out because I think they, I don't know, they do this thing where I guess in the framework of field recording that I know, sometimes it like verges very much to things that are sounding spiritual. And I try to avoid that, but sometimes it happens or let it sit there. But yeah, it's still, it's a process each time. big fan of a made-up name so I just have like lists going I guess like the main three gas steam vent and my name are like the three ones with the intention of playing live and those have always been constant um, whereas all the other projects they kind of come and go because they're quick ideas don't spend too much time on them but there are a lot with the intention of not ever performing or doing anything live with them. Uh, so Steenvent is centered around guitar sounds. Gas is kind of their loops and it's all electronic and all on the computer but there's more of a nod to my pop influences and trying to understand by making uh, tropes of pop music. And then they'll 
Memento is like, I guess it's like the most serious one where I'm kind of testing ideas and where I can push them sonically. And I guess a major one of that is volume because that's the project that gets invited the most to bigger setups. <laughs> I think it's the most uh, unfiltered in terms of like intensities and intensities that I am processing or experiencing. I'm thinking about Project My Name, there's certain elements that are discovered and like that I want to like sit within. But in terms of performance, they've never been performed the same. And even the, the release on Room 40 is one of the live performances. I did try and play a couple of times after the first release and I couldn't replicate it. <laughs> Um, so then I was adding and using the samples that I could. So sometimes it just gets lost and I have to move on. <laughs> With the laptop, it's just more still. And I guess I'm looking at a screen. <laughs> so I don't know. I do that with instruments as well, where for the duration of the set, kind of just pretend like the audience isn't there so you can do the thing. <laughs> but yeah, you know, what I like about playing instruments and this is why I involve myself in bands and have projects like Steam Van is that there's a body language that comes with playing an instrument. I do think that people can play laptops and turntables, but those gestures are not seen as so much as like musician. I do think about the performance side of it when I'm doing a laptop and you know mustn't be very interesting for an audience <laughs> but that's kind of what it is. <laughs> It's always really wonderful when you can do something in well-resourced spaces, but they have ceilings. 
and then in the context of DIY, ambitions can be large and visions can be large, but the kind of collaboration that comes out of it, I, I guess you have to be quite open to things shifting in ways that possibly aren't relevant to you. Both have pros and cons. And yeah, I guess that's the same with Institute as well. I think both of them are sustainable and unsustainable in similar ways, but it actually just depends on the people who are contributing and their energy. I think in terms of like institutes, the things that I navigate in preparation for a set, there feels like there's a lot more pressure. But I could also say that for the club format as well. I think there are kind of like tropes within each environment that do get acknowledged and sometimes don't. But yeah, I do feel a bit more pressure in club environments and institutes versus artist-run spaces or made-up venues or (laughs) those kinds of things. There's another person's energy to feed off and also an acknowledgement of like each person's context and things that they like and finding a middle ground or something, an idea to explore. With Video Easy, we were (laughs) very relaxed and pretty, you know, practiced before the show kind of form where we're like, well, we'll just, yeah, we've just got to make 20 minutes. So let's just try certain things, which then became songs, but kind of the same with where sometimes things would just disappear because we could only do it once. I think Honey to Honey is quite strict with its form because we are looking at things like pop music and R&B, you know, genres with certain rules. But I think what we created is kind of like, I don't know, other bands that are around us that sound like us or something. So there's that aspect of experimentation within it that isn't so visible. You're tuned in to Radio Skid Row. And on this first episode of COVID Diaries, we've reached out to the local community to ask them how they've been managing their day-to-day. So it came about in various meetings with the radio station that I worked for, Radio Skid Row. And this was very early lockdown. The station decided to lock down before the government made it official. And while we were you know, sitting at home and figuring out how do we function as a community radio while being locked out and the critique within kind of learning how to exist in this time is that a lot of media, especially mainstream media, didn't show stories of people in their everyday. 
and how they were navigating those things. So part of training volunteers and members involved getting people used to just sending each other voice clips on things like WhatsApp and taking them off our phones and and then making our radio shows that way. And then soon it was like a lot of people wanted to participate and hearing all the experiences together, it kind of like grew itself. And then we ended lockdown and then it was hard to get anyone to speak. But yeah, that's how it came about. I'd approach people and they'd be like, but what do I say? I'm like, say whatever you want. There's no rules. And most people came from quite a reflective space and even an emotional space, which I think is what made them what they are. All Girl Electronic is now known as New Age Noise, began as a short series of music workshops, introducing young people that were interested in learning more about electronic music and how to make it. It grew into a program which could have facilitators and mentors come in and share about their practice. And it went for four years. And along the way, in starting that program till now, I think the way that it's influenced how I practice is that I was in those classrooms too with mentors and people that I'd never met or whose context I didn't understand. Those things all rubbed off on me as well. So I'd I'd feel encouraged to try something new or just gain like a different perspective on ways of practising. And also a lot of insight to people who do work very much only in music industry. And I guess as well, not music related, but learning how programs by institutes get produced. So the kind of administrative side and understanding those structures a lot better. Whereas before that, I guess, yeah, a lot of my knowledge around organizing was very DIY, or I guess kind of like art school informed. really emotional like on first read like we've been in the process of working on it I think we were approached in the first lockdown so it's been quite a journey in terms of like just the ebbs and flows of energy and the pandemic but when we were able to get together and do some interviews uh, Emma is like an old friend of mine and someone that I have always looked up to in the music scene and the different things that she's been involved in has definitely become part of the blueprint in which I operate. So it's just really lovely to have someone want to do that and also it would have been a very hard job to 
consolidate all the weird stuff that I do into one place. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Out of Field, The Sonic Practice of Del Lumanta is available to read online at disclaimer.org.au. Find the link in our show notes. This podcast was produced by Mara Schretfeger for Liquid Architecture on the land of the Gadigal of the Eora Nation. We acknowledge them as the traditional owners of this land and recognize that sovereignty has never been ceded. We pay our respects to their elders past and present. Liquid Architecture is an Australian organisation for artists working with sound and listening. You can support our podcast and online journal Disclaimer through a Patreon subscription for as little as $5 a month. Find the link in our show notes.